0: Welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. We're supposed to have this balance in the church of zeal and wisdom, and oftentimes we find ourselves on one side of the ditch or other, you know, with a lot of zeal with no wisdom or a lot of wisdom with no zeal, and then the kingdom doesn't advance. It dies, you know. And so thank you, guys. Um, Ecclesiastes says, Young man, give your young years to the Lord so that when you grow old, you will not forget him. And there's something about young men and young women uh, doing that, giving their heart and life to Jesus in the fullest possible extent so that when they grow old, they won't forget him. Why not you stand with me? We're going to jump into the word here. Continuing in 1 Samuel 9. And if you'll all read with me, starting in verse 22, here we go. Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, See what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed, that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof up that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose and both he and Samuel went out into the street. Last verse. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he passed on, stop here for yourself for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's living and active today and that you desire to speak to us through it about your son, about your kingdom, about us. And so let this word, God, be good seed planted into the soil of our heart to produce kingdom of heaven life inside of us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. 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 Thank you, Heidi, for the, the extended keys. <laughs> well, thanks, guys, for... for uh, For fighting the snow, it doesn't look that bad right now. It was pretty beautiful earlier. Um, New Yorkers are generally like, if there's snow, they're like, I'm not going to church. And you're like, you're walking. You're not even driving. What are you talking about? You can make it, I promise. Um, So thanks for showing up. I'm excited for Jim Anderson next Sunday. My father-in-law specializes in heart, deep heart issues. And please come out and please invite your friends that are sexually broken. In New York, that's all of your friends. <laughs> and he, <laughs> so true, that is so true. Um, <laughs> and he specializes in heart, in deep heart issues. And so um, we're excited to have him come and share. You know, there's something about the, the, the care of a father when dealing with delicate issues. You know, sometimes young people have swords and, and, and batons, but a father. Um, like Jim, is just very gentle, and, and we're excited to have him. The, I just got a confirmation a few minutes ago on our phone. The next week, we're going to have Eric Metaxas, and he's, a, he's kind of one of the preeminent Christian thinkers of our time. He's a New York City guy, and I really like him, and he's become a friend over the last six months. And so um, at the end of the month, we're doing conference, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be Holy Spirit uh, rolling around, people barking like dogs, cut nonsense. But Metaxas is the opposite of that. He's just a thinker. And we know Jesus in John 1 says, I was joking about the dog's thing for those of you who are looking at me strangely. <laughs> um you know, Jesus was full of grace and truth, right? He, he didn't say he was half grace and half truth. So there's full spirit life and full truth. And and we are committed highly to the combination of both of those things, that we have actual Holy Spirit life, people actually get healed, the Holy Spirit actually does stuff in our lives, and that we're grounded in God's way. Um, that's us, King's Church. That's where we are. We're King's Church. So let's review where we were last week. We had to come we shared this portion of scripture as we're walking through the lives of the three kings and we said that king saul he's almost going to be king he's about to get anointed he he gets told by the prophet he says um you're the guy that the whole nation is intensely committed to right now and and, and the connotation is that you're going to be king next and saul says this amazing thing how how, how could it be me I'm the smallest clan of the smallest tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. And I said last week, does anyone know why Benjamin is the smallest tribe? Did you, had you, did you know that, Sincere? You did know? I don't know if I believe you. I don't know. <laughs> I believe you. Um, so Benjamin was the smallest tribe because in Benjamin, just literally a few chapters before Saul gets chosen, there's a horrific story where the tribe... Well, this town of Gerar, inside the tribe of the Benjamin, all of the men of the town go to rape this guy, and the, and the nation of Israel is like, we're going to stomp out Benjamin. They keep Benjamin alive as a tribe, but it has been substantially diminished in people because Israel's killed a lot of them. And so when Benjamin, when Saul is saying to the prophet, How could you be choosing me? The connotation is we're the littlest tribe because of sexual sin, we've been marked. And God is saying through the prophet, I don't care about your past. I've chosen you to be the king of my people. And what an incredible story it's like incredible again especially in a city like new york where sexual sin is rampant for for god to say to a people when you're when you're on my team i don't care about your past i make all things new and actually i'm going to use your past to glorify me and so we we walked through that last week and then here we are um as the story kind of continues to unfold. I wanted just to to say a caveat about why sexual sin is such a big deal in the scripture. And there's two ways to take it. Like there's the one way that's like, it's so significant, it's scary. No one ever talks about it or mentions it. And the other side is to say like, it's the same as like, you know, like speeding. It's the same as going 56 and a 55. But the reason sexual sin is so significant in the scripture is because we're talking about the power to create other beings in the image and likeness of God that's what we're talking about so put so so beings that have put the potential of having eternal life in Christ so potentially eternal in Christ living beings and God is saying this thing that I gave you this ability to recreate human beings in the image and likeness of God is a really really big deal and we and, and that's something we don't understand in part because our culture has has said like you don't really want children really if you have it you should only have one and then like then you're fine then you're done like then you want to go on vacation and just guzzle martinis for the rest of your life and god's like no this gift of life that i gave you is literally creating other beings in the image and likeness of god i was walking down the street yesterday uh walking back from leo's bagels the best downtown bagels anybody leo's bagels anybody anybody oh my gosh i'm so sad for you right now (laughs) amazing bagel place downtown and i there's a lady and she's got like the nine thousand dollar stroller does anyone know the nine thousand dollar stroller yeah she's pushing the nine thousand dollar (laughs) stroller the stroller that costs more than my my car and um i'm just thinking about like the whole new york life of only having like one child and just Like, do you not like yourself? Because when you have children, you're making beings in your image and likeness. It's like, here's a little bit of me, here's a little bit of Bethany in both of these kids. And in Goldie, um, Stephanie, my cousin, is somewhere. Where are you, Steph? Right there. She always says, Goldie is so much like me. And I think that's true. And I'm so excited to have a girl version of me. It's great. (laughs) It's really fun. She likes video games. She likes to joke around. She's pretty smart. It's a really great combo. <laughs> but that's what, that's what it is. That's what this thing, when we come together and create these humans, they're in our image and likeness. Right? And it's incredibly important. And that's why God puts these guardrails around sexuality for the blessing of it. You know what I mean? Imagine like you know, a, a, a um, I don't know if you've ever been to... Uh, Africa where the traffic lights are non-existent. Have you ever been to like Central Africa? You go through the, 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 like the center promenade car area and you just think you're going to die. It's cars going every other direction and people getting accidents and pulling on the side of the road. It's like a swarm of bees. And it's super, super, super inefficient. But if you come to, you know, Europe, you go to Europe, they have these amazing roundabouts all over the place and the, and the guidance makes it work better. And God has given us guidance on sexuality because life and relationship is the most important thing that we have. You know, when God created the world, it says this. It says, uh, God said, now let us make man in our own image. And so we know from God that he is communal in nature. And it's actually friendship that is the core and central element of this story of faith that we have which is why creating other beings is central to that, because we don't have relationship without other beings. And so uh, I, I listened to this incredible, I, 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 look, put it, look it up on your phone when you get home, but uh, Father Francis Schall, um Francis, maybe, maybe not Shawl, <laughs> Father Shawl, and he talks about the purpose of life, and his whole, he, he's talking from a Christian perspective, and he's like, the purpose of the whole thing is actually friendship. It's friendship with God and friendship one with another. It's it's not moral order. It's It's not obeying a moral order. The moral order is for the purpose of serving friendship, relationship. The church itself, is the purpose of it is to serve friendship, relationship. That's why sometimes when we go into churches that, can be more formalized and we actually lose relationship, there's something that says there's something wrong here. Like, we're no, there's, we, we've lost friendships. I'm serving or I'm listening, but the church is supposed to be a place that facilitates the greatest thing that we have is friendship, one with another, friendship with God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Yeah. And um, relationship through Christ with Christ gives us not only friendship, but it gives us position. So let's jump into the scripture. It's verse 22. It says, then Samuel took Saul and his young men, and he brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of the table of those who have been invited, who they were about 30 persons. So because Saul is now connected to the prophet or the voice of God. Let's look at it that way as the voice of God. Now he's brought into a place he shouldn't have been. And now he has a leadership position by, by grace that he shouldn't have had. And now he's seated at a place of position. And God thinks it's cool. You know, it's funny because Jesus has this interaction with, with the disciples. And they say, can we be seated with you in a place of position? Do you remember that story? He doesn't say to them how dare you ask. How dare you not be sweeping right now? How dare you not be cleaning the toilets right now? You're asking about position, you filthy slug rats. Which is you don't want Jesus to say that to you. Mark 10:35 check this out. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee came to him and said, "Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Which is a really bizarre way to frame a question, right? Imagine my kids are like, hey dad, will you do whatever we ask? I'll be like, probably not. That's probably that's probably gonna be a no. Off the bat, start starting out here. That's how they ask him. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Verse 36. Jesus is like, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? At 37, it says they replied, "Let let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in glory." And Jesus doesn't say to them, "How dare you want position?" He doesn't say to them, "How dare you want to sit next to me in heaven?" Like the, 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 the current church is so in love with humility, they're like, want to correct somebody for wanting leadership or position or authority. Jesus seems to think it's cool. He seems to like that they want position. He doesn't say, bad question, go to the back of the line. He says this. He says, can you drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? They say, yes, you know, the story, they say, yes, we can. And Jesus is referring to his persecution and death, the baptism of his death. And he's saying, you're allowed to desire position, but no, it comes through your own death. Yes. That's the beauty of Christianity, that God does want to take us someplace through our death, through the death of my desires, my flesh, it being about me. And then he lifts me up and he puts me in places of position. And for the sons and daughters that are willing to go to the cross and have the death of their own needs and narcissism and craziness, he wants to lift those people up because he can trust those people because they've been through death of self. Isn't that awesome? Luke fourteen seven. 7, um, this is the way man does it because man is... It doesn't understand that it's about our death into his life. 14.7, it says, When Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you invite someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited. Then the host who invited both of you will come and tell you, give this man your seat, and in humiliation, you will have to take the last place. And there's this incredible paradox between it being okay in the kingdom of heaven through our own mortification that Christ raises us up. And the other side, where we, from our own impulse and our own need to be significant, place ourselves places. Right? James and John didn't place themselves. They asked Jesus to do it. And that's a really important balance because God wants to take us places, but in especially, like, Instagram Christianity, it's like, I want to be famous, I want to do things for my own glory, and Jesus is like, I want you to be glorified, too, but you get glorified through your death, that's how it works, that's what Christianity is, it's an upside-down kingdom, it's the backwards way up, and so for us, even at King's Church, like, God wants us to be lifted up, he wants his name to be exalted, and it happens by the death of self, and being more like Christ, and living in his resurrection life, amen? I was, I was talking um, to a guy who was a pastor, and when I was a youth pastor many years ago, and he was a Canadian pastor, he told this story. He said he felt like the Lord said to him one day that he was supposed to go to Cambridge to study. And um, Oxford, that's where it was. He was going to Oxford to study. In Oxford is in Cambridge, is that right? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, maybe? Nobody knows. We don't care about the UK, amen. Um, <laughs> in Canada, they had some kind of weird, weird... Program where 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 Cambridge was trying to Oxford was trying to get students from Canada because they had no Canadian students and they're trying to be diverse so they're like we need some we need some hockey fans here, and so they do this this program he didn't know about it and he had graduated towards the the the, the last end of his class like second or third from the bottom of his high school class and he felt like the Lord said I want you to go to Oxford and he's like well that's impossible God that's not going to happen clearly my grades are, are trash. He finds this program, and literally no one else in Canada applies for it. So he gets in. (laughs) you're like, what in the world? And then um, he's there, and he's praying. He's seeking the Lord. He's an awesome pastor, uh, really similar to our kind of ethic of of spirit and and truth. And he felt like the Lord said, I'm going to put you in front of the queen. And he's like, there's no way. That's not the Lord speaking to me. I don't know what that is. And like two weeks later, he got invited by his friend who was in school with him, but he was, a, he was a member of the royalty, Duke's kid or something, to the queen's birthday. And he said, he's standing in line, this is a true story, he's like, he's standing in line, and the queen is like walking down, like, like shaking people's hand one at a time. And he's like, and when she looked at me, she looked at me like, who are you and why are you here? <laughs> and then she walked on by, and he's like, I was here because God brought me here because God brings us to places of prominence in his timing, in his metric and method, and it's okay, right? It's okay to desire that. All right, let's continue here. Um, Verse 23, and Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you, of which I said, put it aside. Uh, So the cook took up the leg that was on The side that was set before Samuel, he gave it to Saul. And Samuel said, see what is kept is set before you. Eat because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. Now there's an obscure verse in Leviticus that says this. Part of the leg, so so Saul's eating the leg, was actually to be held back during sacrifices for the priest himself. It's the portion that is not allowed to be eaten by the rest of the party. So oftentimes in that culture, when the prophet's coming to your town, you're going to do a sacrifice. He's going to bless you. You're going to have you know the sacrifices of, pe- of chopping up an animal. And so this portion was set aside and was actually given to Saul because Saul comes to the party that he gets invited to by Uh, by Samuel, and he doesn't, like, who's going to feed me? Who's going to take care of me? What am I going to do when I get there? And And the thing is, like, in Christ, he doesn't just give us position, but he prepares the table before us before we get there. And oftentimes, like, we'll get to a place and say, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, I don't feel like I'm prepared for this, but in Christ, God always provides for you where he brings you. And, and both in, in, in his word, but also in provision and in protection. And my wife preaches this killer message about Psalm 23 and the Lord preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And Bethany was in Thailand many years ago and dark in the night in the, on an island and the wind is howling. And so you can't hear in your little what is it, like a little tiki cabin, right? Like the size of this rug. You can't hear anyone in the tiki cabin that's right here because it's, it's, you're on an island and the wind is howling and there was a rapist that was crawling around the island trying to break into people's huts while this missions team was on the island. And she's the, it's, it's dark and nighttime and this guy is, is trying to get into the hut. One, my wife and, uh, how old was the kid that was with you? A 15-year-old girl. You know, not who you want to bring to an MMA match, right? Not the person that you want with you to protect you in the dark of night on an island. And while they were there, they you know, this guy's trying to break in and attack them. And the Lord gave another member of their team a dream that they were being attacked. And he woke up from the dream and they ran to the hut where they were at, and chased the guy off, and then they, you know, spent the next whatever, and they were all safe. And it is an incredible that in the presence of our enemies, that God prepares a table for us. He that the, the connotation is that He knows the enemies are coming. He knows what's going to happen, and he goes before you, before you get to the place of your enemies, and he prepares the table. And Saul, like, you know, Saul's not a great example, which is one of the reasons we're talking about him. He's like, you know, awkward, and he doesn't doesn't believe he should be called, and he's full of fear and all this kind of stuff. And the Lord still prepares a table for him. And it's something that we should be aware of, guys, that as as believers, as God calls us to places or to people or to our surroundings, our workplaces, like the people that are around you, do you know the Lord has prepared something for you to give them? And oftentimes we're like, I don't have anything to say. I don't have anything to do. It's like, what if God's actually prepared something? What if you just start talking and start probing about God and then something comes up because he has prepared a table before? Because he's that kind of God. He's a preparing kind of God. He knows the end from the beginning, and he has the whole thing worked out. If we'll trust him and walk in faith, then he provides for us. And that's kind of the idea here of the priestly portion in that verse of Leviticus. Even though it was the priest's portion, it was given to um, the king. And this is one of the cool pictures early on, kind of a prophetic symbol of the marriage or connection between priest and king. And we've been talking a lot about that over the last few weeks, that we have this priestly relationship with us and God through Christ. That's the priestly Uh, manifestation. in the kingly is that that we're supposed to actually care for the world around us, seek the peace of the city and pray for it, right? That scripture is bifurcated. We're supposed to be seeking the peace of this city and praying for it. And I'm connected with a lot of guys that are doing that right now. There was a big win in California, the Supreme Court, a case, um, a church versus Gavin Newsom. Newsom was, he set legislation that said, Uh, You know, there was bars, and there were massage parlors, and other things that were allowed to be open to a certain capacity, but churches weren't allowed to be opened at all. Zero capacity. And it was sued, and it went up to the Supreme Court, and Friday there was a ruling from the Supreme Court that said that is discrimination. That's discrimination. You can't do that. You can't allow all of these other places to be open, but churches to be shut down. Right, And that's the kind of culture we live in right now, and we need to be aware of that, which gives us, I believe, a greater role to be not just priestly but kingly so that we can have in this nation still another generation for my children and yours to worship Jesus without fear, right? Because there's coming a day when talking about sin and those kinds of things will put you in jail. It's coming, it's happening in Canada right now. There's pastors that are in jail for saying homosexuality is a sin. It's happening already. And so we want to stand as people in a priestly and kingly role. And that's a little bit what we see in this picture of Saul and, and receiving the Levitical meal. Is that all right? Okay. Um, last point here is that relationship with God grows through privacy. So I said first that um, r- relationship with God gives us position. I said second, that it gives us provision, provision, and finally, that it grows in privacy. So let's look at this last verse, verse 23. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I give you of which I said to you, put it aside. Did I just do that? I did. Okay, next verse, 24. Erase that. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he had passed on, stop here for yourself that I may make known to you the word of God. Saul says, I don't want to be around a bunch of people, just you and me. So we said symbolically the prophet is the word of God. He's with Saul. And there's something about being alone with God that he likes. My dad, when he was 24 or 25, he was kind of a wild man. He, was, uh, he, was a, a, he worked at a printing press, actually, and um, my grandfather had a printing press in the Bronx, and they moved it to the Catskills, and so my dad kind of grew up at his printing press, and so he was a, just a blue-collar, partying, drinking, printing press kind of guy. And my mom kept saying, I know you believe in God, and you kind of think you go to the Catholic Church every once in a while, but but he's real, and his Holy Spirit's real, and if you pray to him, he'll actually show up, and he, he'll change your life. So my dad doesn't want anyone to see him praying. He wants to be alone by himself, and so he goes down to the basement of this printing press in the middle of the night because he doesn't want anyone to be there and he doesn't want anyone to see him praying because he thinks praying is for wimp girls. Um, It's not. So, (laughs) did I tell you this story, Johannes? Did we have this, did I tell you this story? No, okay. Um, Sorry. And so my dad's down there praying and he has this Catholic tradition so he knows that he needs to kneel and he knows he needs to have an altar. So he sets this pallet up and he um, kneels on this pallet and he's like, all right, you got to pray, okay. And he's like, God, if, you're, if there is a God, and if you're real, and if this Holy Spirit thing is actually real as well, I would like, I would, I w- I would like that. I think I would like that. He, that's the prayer he prays. And he said he felt like someone pouring warm oil down his body from his head, and he was terrified, and he jumped off the pallet and ran away. And then he was like, uh, maybe that was actually God. <laughs> and then he's like, I think it was God, and I think I just missed the whole thing. I think I just ruined the whole thing. And so the Catholic tradition is like, you have to say the same prayer the same way, right? You have a certain kind of rote, systematic method. So he goes and he's like, okay, how did I say that prayer? I got to say it exactly the same way, to try to get this to happen. And he kneels on the pallet the same way, and he tries to s- articulate exactly the same prayer in exactly the same way. And he he's like, Holy, and if this Holy Spirit is real, I would like that. And he feels the same feeling again, and it, oil pouring down his whole body. He said, all of a sudden, a, a language that he'd never heard burst forth from him. And he ran to the bathroom in this basement of this printing shop, and he turned the light of the bathroom on, and he was watching himself in the mirror, his mouth saying a language pouring out of him that he'd never heard before. And then he started praying like three to three, two to three hours a day alone in the woods by himself, walking in the woods, alone with God, two to three hours a day for years. And there's something about private time with God that changes you. It doesn't change God, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but it changes you. And there are many Christians that are living the Sunday horse lifestyle where we get on the Jesus horse Sunday and then hop off. But, and we're wondering why we're not being changed, but we're not spending time with God. And it is by spending time, quantity of time with God, that we begin to be like him. I have a new friend that I'm working on getting saved. Uh, hopefully he's not watching because I'm going to make fun of him right now. <laughs> He's probably not watching. He's a heathen. He's a filthy heathen. He's not watching. Uh, the more I spend, the more I talk, more I hang out with him, I've been noticing like he's picking up my verbal ticks, like the weird things I say or the weird phrases or my weird little verbal ticks. He's starting to pick them up because we're spending time together. That's how that works. And when we spend time with the Father we turn into someone that looks more like his image. Like, altar call prayers are awesome. I like them, I like the altar, I like praying, I like Sunday morning. But that's not the thing that will make sustainable change happen on the inside of you. You know, the Greek word for character is basically the formation of an object by striking the object over and over and over and over again, and when we're spending time with God over and over and over again, we begin to be formed into His character. I have a friend that was very close to me, and we were um, young revivalists. And he turned into an atheist and transsexual devil worshiper. I mean, that's not even a joke. Like, it's it's, it's kind of funny, but it's not it's not a joke. He did turn into that. And um, somebody was talking to me. We we're having a late night conversation about this guy. And he said, David, why did that happen? And I said, because the people he surrounded himself were those people and you become who you surround yourself with. And if you spend time like God, you become like God. And if you spend time with ACS, transsexual XYZ through your phone or through the videos you watch or through all of the stuff you input, you start to be like that. You start to turn into the image that you worship. That's what happens. And God was always saying to the people of Israel, like, you're, you're, wor- you're worshiping these idols with no eyes and no ears and no mouth. You know, when he said that to the people of Israel, he was also saying, you have become people with no eyes. You can't see me anymore or ears. You can't hear me anymore or mouth. You have no authority when you speak about me because you don't worship me. You worship an idol. But God, through Christ, is so incredible that he invites us to be with him and to be alone with him. Let's look at a couple of scriptures and we'll end it. Matthew 6, six. but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Acts 9.40, then Peter sent them all out of the room. And he knelt down and prayed, and he turned towards the body and said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. Genesis 32, 24, and Jacob was left alone, and there he wrestled with a man until the breaking of the day. You ever have an all-night prayer? Anybody pray all night, Royston? Let's get some all-night prayers, yes. Let's get some praying through the whole night. My dad used to say, um, he's like, I would pray through the whole night because... That's what Jesus did. He prayed through the night. And he, was, he, he said, like, I would fall asleep at like 3 a.m. and I'd wake up and I'd say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I just want to be like you. And I'm like, wow, that's incredible. I haven't made it through the whole night, I don't think. I've, had, I've been like youth group where we eat pizza through the whole night, but I don't think I've, <laughs> I've prayed through the night yet. It's on the list. It's on the list. Matthew 26, 36, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there. So he wanted to be by himself while I go over there and pray. And Jesus is alone with the father praying before the darkest hour of his life. And it's sometimes like in the dark hours of our life, it's like those are the times we don't want to pray, you know. Those are the times we feel like God is away from us. But those are the times that God wants to be nearest to us if we're willing to spend time with him. And he comes through this. Jesus comes through Gethsemane and he's crucified and he's broken and he's bled out and he's hung on a cross for the world to see naked. I just think, man, how brutal and it wasn't just the pain you know there's a, a historian that i'm reading right now he said a lot of the like what we don't understand is a lot of the martyrs they died singing joyously like even if when it was brutal but they, but he's like but what they what we don't recognize in christ is he ha- was had taken on the sins of mankind and it was crushing it wasn't like you know it wasn't like it wasn't like Stephen who's like looking at the angels and all excited and happy as he's getting stoned. It's like the, he was being crushed for our transgressions. And we have a God that loves us so much that he would send his son Jesus to be broken and to bleed and to die for you and I to have access to friendship, to relationship. What this whole thing is about. If you'll bow your heads with me and close your eyes. If there's anybody here, I don't know everybody here who doesn't know Jesus. If there's somebody that says, man, I would love to know a God like that. The scripture is super simple. It says that if, um, it says in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. And it says this crazy promise. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Incredible. If you haven't called on the Lord and you'd want to be saved, why don't you just raise your hand or take a look at me? Amen. Anybody else? Just say this prayer with me Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died and rose again. I repent of my sin and I give my life to you. And God, for everybody that prayed this prayer, God, those of us who have been struggling with is it real, Jesus, I ask that today you would make a transaction in their heart. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.